The Truth News Network. When you hear the White House spokesperson and you think, can we all go back to circle back, girl, now? You're looking at a problem. When a candidate for Supreme Court is asked, what is a woman? And the answer is, I don't know, I'm not a biologist. When she's in that chair answering that question precisely because she is a woman, how do you sort out that insanity? With the razor of truth. This is TNN, the truth Network. And your coach for today is Dan Newman. And of course, it's all about whoever is in control politically. They set the narrative and they make all the rules. It's called authoritarianism. They tell us every day that everything that any conservative says, any conservative does, it's a war against democracy. We don't live in a democracy. They want to call it that because it sounds noble. We live in a representative republic. That's the way our nation was founded because democratic nations, they all historically eventually turn into what? They turn into a dictatorship, an authoritarian nation, and mob rule. Mob rule is the number one reason why the United States can never allow itself to become a pure democracy because then... Whoever has the most people regarding any particular circumstance, they're going to control everything. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to TNN Live Tuesday morning. Always a busy day because a lot of stuff happened late in the weekend that didn't quite catch the news cycle on Monday morning. And we get a little carryover about that. And who that's listening doesn't think that we have a bunch of stuff going on, important things that we've got to get to. That's what we're going to do here. And our buddy Steve Baker, you heard him last week. He was on his way down to Houston to get involved in a human trafficking slash smuggling ring investigation. And he's there. He's going to join us at the top of the second hour. That would be 10 o'clock Central Time, 11 Eastern. And we're going to get an update there. Plus, because he is now immersed in illegal immigration things, and he's down there in South Texas, we're going to talk about the latest in the immigration debacle at the hands of President Joe Biden. This entire illegal immigration thing, everything that happens as a direct or even an indirect result, is at the feet of President Joe Biden. He is 100% responsible. No, wait a minute, you say. He's just one guy. He doesn't have control over everything. Well, he acts like he does, and he tells us that he does, and whatever he can't get through the Congress, he just decides he's going to develop an executive order, whether or not it's legal, is immaterial, and throw those out there superseding the United States Congress, which is the sole representatives of the people of America in everything to do with running our government. And that includes the money to do all of this stuff. We have no idea, no idea whatsoever, what the real criminality is when you talk about criminal events that impact a American citizens at the hands of illegals, many of who have been here for decades. They just are ghosts. 
Nobody knows exactly who they are, where they come from. Oh, they, they pop up and they give names. But there is an underground in the American economy that is so vast, so wide, so deep, it would shock us all to know how much these big international corporations, especially in the agricultural sector, how much they are spending in cash to pay these agriculture workers that are really good workers, very experienced being out in the fields in places like Central California where a huge portion of our fruit and vegetables come from. These big industrial agriculture companies, they loved having these immigrants there. Illegal is fine with them. No social security number, they pay them with cash. And they spend billions, these big companies, lobbying members of Congress to get legislation passed that they want and also to stop legislation from being passed that isn't good for their companies. Follow the money. Follow the money. You can always look to the money when there's something you can't quite get your arms around trying to come up with an answer or reason for it or reason for it not to happen. Follow the money. Well, good morning and welcome. So glad to have you here today. Steve Baker will join us at the top of the hour. He's going to break down the first part of his trip, the first week of his trip down to Houston And he'll give us an inside scoop on a lot of stuff. If you haven't yet, you need to go to the front page of truthnewsnet.org. He gave us a report, his first written report. Of course, it doesn't include everything that he confronted. He can't do it. He can't expose everything. He is really in a very precarious situation himself personally because the people that are perpetrating what he's there to uncover Many of them are directly or indirectly affiliated with Mexican drug cartels, those traffickers. And so when someone sticks their nose in their business, they're not very good about coming in and saying, hey, you need to stop this. We need you to quit doing this. That's not how they operate. They come in and slit your throat. He was even warned, Steve was, before he went to Houston, don't come down here in your personal vehicle because they have ties in the Houston police force, they being the cartels, that they'll take a license plate and run it illegally and tell the cartel members who you are in that car and how to find you. That's the world that is out there and has been out there every day. We We don't see it. We're not directly involved in it, so we don't see it. Thankfully, we don't see it. And I don't need to see any more illegalities. we got plenty on the table, don't you agree? And speaking of that, speaking of that, someone sent me something that it just really struck home with me, so much so that I I typed this up and I'm going to keep it in perpetuity. It's, It's really very simple. It's just five simple points. Point number one, you cannot legislate the poor into freedom by legislating the wealthy out of freedom. I'm going to read that again. I'll do each one of these twice. You cannot legislate the poor into freedom by legislating the wealthy out of freedom. Number two, what one person receives without working for, 
another person must work for it without receiving. Repeat. What one person receives without working for, another person must work for without receiving. Number three. The government cannot give to anybody anything that the government does not first take from somebody else. The government cannot give to anyone anything that the government does not first take from someone else. Number four, when half the people get the idea they don't have to work because the other half is going to take care of them. And when the other half, the ones that are working, get the idea that it doesn't good to work because somebody else is going to get what they work for. That is the beginning of the end of a nation. I'll read it again. When half of the people get the idea that they don't have to work because the other half is going to take care of them, and when the other half, the one that's working, gets the idea it doesn't do any good to work because somebody else is going to get what they work for, That's the beginning of the end of a nation. And number five, you cannot multiply wealth by dividing it. You cannot multiply wealth by dividing it. Some very salient points to consider there. So we've got a busy day today. Busy, busy, busy. Something that nobody's talking about, and this just popped up in my head yesterday. Health experts are warning us all, get ready, brace for what could be an exceptionally severe flu season this fall and winter, as more people who haven't built up immunity over the past year or so mix and mingle with each other. There are two big reasons why more people couldn't be vulnerable to the flu this year. The first With coronavirus restrictions, such as the wearing a mask all but forgotten, people are more likely to come into contact with the flu virus this year than over the last two years. Secondly, fewer people are likely to be immune from the flu this year because fewer people have been getting the flu over the last two years. Well, we were getting the flu. We just called it coronavirus, right? You didn't see any flu demographics out there. Why is that? It's because many of the flu cases were diagnosed as coronavirus. Richard Webby, a virologist at St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital in Memphis in their infectious disease department, said the past two flu seasons simply haven't seen the same levels of exposure to the flu. He said, as a population, our immunity to the flu is down a bit. When the virus comes back, it's probably going to have a little bit more room to spread, a little bit more room to potentially cause disease. In a normal year, which I don't believe medically, infectious diseases in the last two years, anybody can say we've had a normal year, but let's suppose this is one of those normal years. Exposure to the influenza virus generates some community immunity as about 10 to 30% of people are exposed to the flu in a normal season, but fewer people were exposed in 2020 and 2021. That results in a decline in natural immunity. For example, pediatric flu deaths, 
normally exceed 100 every year before the pandemic, but the last two flu seasons have seen reported pediatric flu deaths fall under 40, with only one pediatric death confirmed in 2020 from the flu. This lowered population immunity means people are at a higher risk of getting the flu this year. Another scholar, Amish Adelia, senior scholar at Johns Hopkins, said the flu season for the past two years has essentially been non-existent and adding that this trend was always bound to end once social distancing became less practiced. According to Adalia, evidence of the flu picking back up is a sign people are getting back to some semblance of their life pre-COVID. The Southern Hemisphere is giving the U.S. a preview of sorts of what is to come. It's been winter in the Southern Hemisphere, and those countries have experienced a really tough flu season. Australia, for example, just one, experienced its worst flu season in five years, with the rate of cases peaking earlier than it usually does. In both 2020 and 2021, the Australian Department of Health and Aged Care noted a lower rate of reported flu cases and severity. Only 37 laboratory-confirmed flu-associated deaths reported in 2020, zero in 2021. Flu hospitalizations and deaths reached an all-time low in Australia last year. So what are we talking about? I just want to give you a heads up. You probably don't remember this. And I wish I had uh, labeled it on one of our show contents, and I didn't do it. But I told you a year ago when we began to look at all of the statistics for disease that are put out, a list is put out every Monday by the CDC. And we began to watch the flu numbers, the statistics of flu. Basically, COVID-19 busted flu's butt, killed it, because there was hardly any flu out there. And you and I, we all know that's not true. What we all know is that much of the flu was masked by COVID-19 test results that came back. People were diagnosed being COVID-19 positive when it was the flu. That's not a conspiracy theory. That's a fact. So what are we going to look into today? Well, this this, uh, hoopla about Ron DeSantis and Greg Abbott, the governors of Florida and Texas, getting together and dumping uh, migrants around the nation. It's raising a lot of hackles among politicians, also among law enforcement. We've got that happening. We're going to, you're going to hear from, uh, you're going to hear from a couple of people regarding the uh, paid vacation to 48 immigrants on a chartered flight from uh, San Antonio, Texas to Martha's Vineyard. We've got that to look at. We also have, election issues. You know, we're only seven weeks away from the midterms. It doesn't seem possible. It just keeps rolling and rolling. And here we are. I mean, we're on the back end of September. We've only got seven weeks till election day. So we're going to talk about that. Here's a good one that I think you'll like. A federal appeals court Friday, late Friday, ruled in favor of a Texas law 
targeting major social media companies like Facebook and Twitter in a victory for the GOP who accused the platforms of censoring conservative speech. This came out of the U.S. Court of Appeals, the Fifth Circuit in New Orleans. Uh, The decision's unlikely to be the last word. You can expect a legal battle all the way to the Supreme Court, I promise you that. This Texas law was signed by Governor Greg Abbott of Texas. It's been challenged by tech trade groups that warned that it would prevent platforms from removing extremism and hate speech. A similar law was also passed in Florida, and it was ruled unconstitutional by a separate appeal court. The final say, it's going to come from the Supreme Court, which earlier this year blocked the Texas law while the lawsuit played out. Today, we reject the idea that corporations have a freewheeling First Amendment right to censor what people say. That came from one of those circuit judge, Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals Judge Andrew Oldham. Net Choice is one of the groups challenging the law. They expressed disappointment in a statement that pointed out the ruling was the opposite of the decision made in the lawsuit over the Florida law. We remain convinced that when the U.S. Supreme Court hears one of our cases, it will uphold the First Amendment rights of websites, platforms, and apps, said Carl Sabo, NetChoice's vice president and general counsel. This thing's been rolling around for a long, 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 long time. And you just got to understand this. We either have a First Amendment or we don't. Having the freedom of speech it gives you it gives you the opportunity to believe or to reject anything someone says it puts the responsibility and the freedom to make those choices on the people not the government not these big social media giants and what's at the bottom of all of this stuff let me tell you what's at the bottom of it pending litigation These big tech companies, they have in what's called the 230 right to be protected from lawsuits. The federal government passed that out. I'll give you an example. They passed it out to Pfizer, to Moderna, to Johnson & Johnson. It's called indemnification. And so in the medical field, the way they get indemnified, in other words, if you have a problem with a vaccine, maybe a real deadly problem, maybe someone that you love got deathly ill, maybe they died as a direct result of these vaccines. You can't sue Pfizer or Moderna or Johnson & Johnson. The liability that came from their putting these vaccines in that person's arm, that liability now rests with you and me, the American people. They have to sue the government for any kind of of resolution, liability. Same thing holds true for Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Google. This Section 230 indemnifies them against you and I filing lawsuits against us. Well, anybody can file a lawsuit, but it'll be kicked out because they're indemnified. Justice Sam Alito of the Supreme Court, he wrote in May, it's not clear how the high courts passed First Amendment cases, many of which predate 
the Internet age, how that applies to Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, Google, YouTube, other digital platforms. The Florida law as enacted would give Florida's attorney general authority to sue companies under the state's Deceptive and Unfair Trade Practices Act. It would also allow individual residents to sue social media companies for up to hundred grand if they feel they've been treated unfairly. The Texas law only applies to the largest social media platforms that have more than 50,000 active users. So what's in play here? Let me tell you what's in play here. Listen to me. Money. Money is what makes all of this go round. So how does this impact both sides of this conversation? Well, who created Section 230? The United States Congress. Why would the United States Congress even consider indemnifying Facebook and Twitter and Google, all of them, taking all of the liability for anything these private corporations do in the public marketplace, taking all of that liability away from these big companies that are multi-billion dollar companies. It's not like they're little fledgling operations out there and they're just clawing to be able to stay in business. They're monsters. They're massive. And that's where it begins. What do these big tech companies do? They spend millions of dollars lobbying in Washington, D.C. Who are they lobbying? Members of Congress. Members of Congress. Quid pro quo. That's the way the political system in the United States works about everything here in 2022. It's all about dollars and cents. With money, if you get elected, you get a bureaucratic position in government, You get stability there. Oh my gosh, they're going to knock on your door. They're looking for every edge you can give them to get legislation passed to favor them or to block legislation that they don't want passed. In this case, big tech, they got what they wanted. Indemnification under Section 230. That's under attack. But of course, the Democrats won't let it even come up to be considered in the House. Nancy Pelosi loves it. She's from Big Tech America, San Francisco, Northern California. That's where 95% of all big tech stuff, I mean, everything to do with it, that's where it emanates from. The Bay Area in California, her district. I wonder how much she and Paul, her husband, have directly profited from big tech, protecting those big corporations. It boils down to this, and this is where Americans live. We're not into the litigation stuff, unless we're attorneys anyway. We're not into that. We don't want to get into that. What we want is the ability to speak our minds without being censored for anything we say. That's what the First Amendment is all about. Prime example, the President of the United States was kicked off Twitter. He's still not back on. Donald Trump, of course, I'm talking about. And the only reason he got kicked off and couldn't get back on was because it's a private corporation. Well, then, if it's private, 
Why are American taxpayers taking all of the expense and the liability for any wrongdoing by Twitter or Facebook or YouTube, Google, any of them? Why are we the ones that have to step in front of the the people that are actually making this happen? And it's because of the way they structured it, they being the United States Congress. That, my friends, needs to go. Something popped up, and it just it just blew my mind. We know there are so many things going on behind our backs, many of them bad things. But this story came out, and it blows my mind. They wanted me to use fear to manipulate people. They wanted me to use fear to manipulate people. That came from an attorney and legal commentator, Preston Moore. He posted a video over the weekend saying that he was offered and he rejected $400 by the Good Information Foundation to make a video attacking Donald Trump. Moore, who graduated from Harvard Law School, he practices for the Georgia-based Beasley Allen Law Firm, posts daily at a TikTok account. He posts under the name Trial by Preston. He focuses on legal news, political news, personal stories from his own legal practice. He is not a Trump supporter. He's got 89,000 followers, and he's begun to build a significant presence. That, he told Breitbart News, seemed to be why he was approached by a 501c3 organization. That's a tax-free institution, organization, and it's called the Good Information Foundation. They wanted him to make a video about Trump in January 6th. The foundation whose website proclaims this, good information is the lifeblood of democracy and that it wants to increase the flow of good factual information online to counter and rebut the spread of misinformation and disinformation. And they wanted more to create the video about January 6th and to post it on his social media platforms to reach the widest possible audience. At first thinking it through, he was willing to do it. He said, to be honest, I would be willing to talk about specific facts if you just want the literal facts, he said. But after he asked for more information, he was given a set of talking points. While the proposed content was originally billed as nonpartisan, the organization clearly wanted an anti-Trump attack ad. The next paragraph made clear that it was not nonpartisan, he said, noting that it said, now Trumpism has to go. As he uh, expressed in a now viral video about his experience, he was given a set of talking points that included several dubious claims about January 6th, including that the Trump campaign paid literally millions of dollars to make January 6th happen. That rang alarm bells. When Moore replied to a representative from Vocal Media, the contractor that had apparently partnered with the Good Information Foundation, asking for evidence to black the claim, he stopped receiving replies. In his video, which has been viewed more than a million times on TikTok alone as of Sunday evening, 
Moore notes with some irony that the Good Information Foundation was essentially looking for social media influencers who are willing to misinform. It became really clear that they wanted me to use the most graphic images possible. They wanted me to use fear to manipulate people into voting blue or into voting not Trump. And when they're giving examples of the things they wanted me to say, don't say Trump and his allies, say Trump Republicans. It became really clear that this was about putting out information to impact midterm elections. This is just one example of this. Can you imagine how many other people that have big social media accounts and followers are being approached with money to say things and do things for political perspective? This is how Washington, D.C. functions. This is how it operates. This is nothing new, folks. It's been around since there have been politics in some shape, form, or fashion. Not always is it right there in your face like you're hearing it and seeing it here. I mean, let's face it. Let's be honest with each other. Our government, this administration, they formally put together a misinformation board that was going to be, uh, going to be the sole arbiters of what's right, what's wrong, what's fair, and what's unfair on social media posting on a mass scale. The American people push back. Government's not supposed to get into that, abridging the freedom of speech. I mean, that's a direct blow that our forefathers, way back from the 1700s, when they penned the U.S. Constitution, they knew that this government, any government, is going to be prone to censor the free speech of dissonance, people who disagree with them. We call that today communism, authoritarianism, totalitarianism. That's what we call it today. Our forefathers called it the abridgment of the right to free speech. Free speech meaning you don't pay to be able to speak. And free speech means you can say anything, knowing even if it's going to offend somebody, you still have the right to say it. And that person or persons has the right to rebut in the public domain against what you allege and what you say. That's how democracy works. Everybody gets to voice themselves, and then everybody else has the right and the ability, unfettered, to draw their own conclusions. Well, Steve Baker, if you weren't at the top of the show, he's going to be with us at the top of uh, the 10 o'clock hour, giving us an update. We're actually going to talk about his human trafficking uh, investigation undercover. It, It literally is undercover. He posted a story on our website this morning, truthnewsnet.org, his first chapter, and the title of it is The Lookout. You need to read the story. Make sure you're here at the top of the next hour because he's going to tell a lot of things firsthand that if you got hair, which I don't, it'll make hackles on your arms, hair stand on end when you hear what's going on down there in Houston, Texas, city where I was born. It's a great city but it's got some real problems and they're not just about Houstonians and you're going to hear and see that much, much more ahead at TNN Live. 
People think unusual circumstances means complicated taxes. But for a TurboTax Live expert like me, it just makes things interesting. So, give us everything you've got. What if I'm a professional gamer with a ton of expenses? If they help drive views, let's talk deductions. What if I'm in a state with no income tax, but my survival videos are viewed in 38 countries? I can help. And if this is a business dinner, save those jerky receipts. An interesting life can mean an even greater refund. You do your thing. We've got your taxes. Intuit TurboTax Live. Nervous? Oh, Blaze. Brings back so many good memories. Remember our road trip in 97? Our first real heart-to-heart. -heart. I've never seen any of your movies! Not even the ones we're in together! Hey, do you remember when that stalker kidnapped us? Yes! Blaze was there. Blaze. Do you have a barbecue? Or a cheddar jalapeno? Ooh. Oh, remember when we stumbled into that turf war? Ah! Remember when you bought your first house? Ah! Hey, I'm Those were good times. They were golden. You ready? Seth, do you? I do. And Janet, do you? That's a yes. I know I should quit smoking, but it's just... <sighs> My feet and hands are numb a lot. Walking to the bathroom gets me winded. <coughs> I cough all the time. Seriously? <sighs> I've been dying to quit. Don't wait till you're dying to call. When your health is worse, it will be too late. 1-866-QUIT-YES. The Illinois Department of Public Health and the American Lung Association in Illinois. QuitYes.org. He's got the inside scoop on what's really happening in D.C. TNN, the Truth News Network. Here's Dan. Well, I do have my finger on a lot of the things that are happening in Washington, D.C., but certainly not all of them. And as we find them, the ones that are important, we bring them to you. We um, unburied some information yesterday, very troubling, a key source for the anti-Donald Trump dossier that was paid for by Democrats has confirmed now he was on the FBI's payroll for years. Igor Danchenko. Boy, that sounds like a James Bond movie name, right? Igor Danchenko provided information to the dossier's author, who was, you'll know the name, Christopher Steele. Danchenko says that was all a vital source of information to the U.S. government during the course of his cooperation and was relied upon to build other cases and open other investigations. That's what his lawyer said in a filing lodged in federal court in Virginia yesterday. Special counsel John Durham recently let us know that Danchenko was a confidential human informant for the FBI from March of 2017 to October of 2020. He was later charged with five counts of lying to the government in interviews, interviews about his role as a collector of information that was put forth in that Steele dossier, which was funded by the campaign of Hillary Clinton. Trump and China faced off in the 2016 presidential election and the Democrat National Committee. Danchenko 
lied about not sourcing information from Charles Dolan, a longtime Clinton associate, and sourcing information from Sergey Milyan, a businessman and supporter of Trump. Some have alleged the FBI paid Danchenko in an effort to hide those fabrications. Of course, the FBI, what do they do? Well, we can't comment on the allegation. You need to contact the Department of Justice. And so when you contact the Department of Justice, which is what happened checking out this story, they won't respond to a crest. Danchenko was investigated by the FBI from 2009 to 2011. While he was working for the Brookings Institution back in 2008, he approached a couple of colleagues and discussed whether they wanted to provide classified information in exchange for money. Now, that's according to John Durham's team. By the way, doing that would obviously be a felony. Danchenko said he thought one of the employees might be able to join the Obama administration, which came into power in early 2009, and gain access to classified documents. Danchenko said he knew people who would pay money for the information. The employee conveyed the offer to a contact in the government, who then passed it on to the FBI. They started a preliminary investigation, upgraded the probe to a full investigation, after they learned that Danchenko was an associated associate of two people who were known by Bureau counterintelligence experts that he had previous contact with known Russian intelligence officers and even the Russian embassy. The defendant has also informed one Russian intelligence officer that he had interest in entering the Russian diplomatic service. The investigation into that defendant was closed back in 2010 after the FBI incorrectly believed that the defendant had left the country. I don't even believe the FBI thought that. The FBI, everything you hear now coming out of the FBI, with no exception, everything when you hear it, every American, there's just a question mark over the head of who says it. They can't be trusted. And that is a horrible thing to say about the agency that was formerly the number one intelligence agency on the planet. So back in 2017, when Danchenko was speaking to the FDI, he denied being in contact with any Russian intelligence. But he later said he'd been in contact with two people he thought were connected to the Russian intelligence community. And this story just goes on and on and on and on. But what it evidences is the love of money is the root of all evil. Money is not the root. The love of money is the root of all evil. And nobody, folks, not a single human being that's breathing is exempt from facing that biblical fact, especially if you're in politics. The love of money is the root of all evil. Moving over to another debacle involving government and involving money. The IRS, which has a well-documented history of targeting conservatives, the IRS granted tax-exempt status in April to a George 
Soros-backed organization that's now accused of trying to pay an attorney to spread fake news about Donald Trump and Trump Republicans. Now, let me tell you where the horror in this entire thing is. This kind of stuff has been going on for years. In fact, people involved in it don't even try to hide it anymore. But you know what? It's illegal. Why is it illegal? George Soros, he paid big money to this organization that got 501c3 exempt status. You cannot be a 501c3. You can't be a part of a 501c3 and get involved in dollars and cents in politics. You're supposed to be a tax-free organization, not a lobbying, not a campaign operation to get tax-exempt status. That makes sense, doesn't it? Where's the DOJ on this one? <laughs> can, you, can you envision any scenario in which Merrick Garland, our attorney general, would actually open a case against George Soros? Oh, my gosh. Attorney and legal commentator Preston Moore he posted that video over the weekend. We told you about it. The Good Information Foundation, we told you about it. George Soros was the dollars and cents root of that whole thing. We talk about George Soros pretty regularly. We really don't talk about him, but his name comes up because he's so heavily involved financially in American politics. He's got dual citizenship. I forget which country is his in Europe. Um, I can't even remember. It's not Germany. Anyway, it's one of those countries over there in Europe, but he, he lives most of the time in an amazing house out on Long Island. That shouldn't surprise anybody. But he basically sits quietly. He likes to stay out of the public eye, which is unusual but he is very politically motivated and he is a anti-cop, anti-police, anti-law enforcement person. Why is that? Why would you think it's that way? Well, to start off with, he doesn't have to worry about it. He's got private security around him, uh, probably more so than even the president of the United States does. So he's personally protected, but also he's got in his pocket tons of law enforcement people and he hates law enforcement. He really doesn't, folks, because he can control it as it pertains directly to him. That's the difference. Wow. He's also a big environmentalist, or at least says he is, and he is a uh, anti-fossil fuel guy, or he says he is, and he's a big pro-electric car, electric vehicle person. Or at least he says he is. The head of mobility services for German electronics giant Robert Bosch has warned the electric vehicle industry all over the world of the reliance on battery cells and possible shortages in the future. Bloomberg reports that Marcus Hain, the head of mobility services for Bosch, has warned the electric industry over its over-reliance on a single fuel source, battery cells, as Europe's energy crisis is going through the roof. 
Hain, who's also a board member of the auto parts giant, told the Monday edition of the Stuttgart Z-Tongue, we're currently seeing the consequences of the gas shortage for Germany and Europe because we prepared too few alternatives. In the automotive industry, we should use this occasion to ask ourselves what we can do if there should ever be too few battery sales. Sir, Mr. Hain, I think we're there right now. I just happened to watch a, I don't even remember what I was looking at. It may have been a news show. It may have been a movie. I don't know. I very seldom watch television, television, if you know what I mean. It'll be on in the background, but I'm not concentrating. It's more like noise. Nevertheless, an ad came up for an electric vehicle manufactured by General Motors. And the big highlight in the ad was this wasn't a 100% electric vehicle. It was a hybrid but they were bragging that this vehicle could go all electric for at least 37 miles. They're bragging (laughs) about that. Most of you, you drive 50 miles a day. So what are you going to do? After 37 miles, (laughs) you're going to have to pull over and plug up. Haynes said that everyone would certainly like to see an alternative to battery power. I don't think that's true. I mean, you work for Bosch. That would be a big reason why you feel that way, Mr. Haynes. But I don't think anybody in the United States, the environmentalists, the fossil fuel anti-folks, the climate change fanatics, they're not looking for an alternative to battery power. In fact, Those in politics in the U.S. are telling us if we don't stop using fossil fuel vehicles, they're going to take them all away. And they're with with us. If they don't get their deal done to take fossil fuels away from us, we're all going to die from pollution, from carbon fossil fuel sources. Haynes said that alternatives that should be considered include fuel cells like hydrogen and oxygen to power electric motors. They're out there, folks. They're out there. But guess what? There's no big money in it. Hmm. They're just importing everything right now. The pieces, the parts. Hain further added, the infrastructure being developed for long-haul trucks is well-suited as a backbone for supplying passenger cars. Batteries have from the beginning, been a major cost for drivers of electric vehicles. Replacements and repairs go through the roof. Nobody's talking about that. Mayor Pete's not talking about that, our Secretary of Transportation. He doesn't mention that. He just thinks everybody ought to go buy a battery-operated vehicle and put the others out to pasture. There was a recent report that came out on a Canadian Tesla owner who was locked out of his car unless he paid $26,000 for a new battery. This guy said, I'll never buy another Tesla. I wonder why he said that. $26,000 for a battery. That's the long way of me saying, stay the expletive deleted away from Teslas. They're brutal cars, brutal manufacturing. Even worse, there's a 10-year-old company. In another video, Zelaya said that he sold the car and that someone would be picking it up from his driveway. The apparent buyer was then recorded taking the car apart from the front bumper 
and charging it. Zelaya said, that's going to be the end of my Tesla journey. It's out of my life. Keep it out of yours. <laughs> we don't hear about the negative stuff here. We just hear about the glories of batteries. You know, every battery that is made, it requires some precious minerals is what they're called. Specific minerals. And they're precious because they're not real rampant anywhere on the planet. There's a lot of them in greater parts of Africa, also Afghanistan, and you know where this is going. Guess who owns the lion's share of the sourcing and production of these precious metals that are required for these batteries? China. In fact, China, the week after we withdrew from Afghanistan, China cut a deal with the Taliban for unilateral control of all the precious minerals in Afghanistan. Listen, if we end up going all electric cars, we will be sitting at the feet of Xi Jinping, begging him to take the leash off and let us have access to all the materials we need for our batteries. Got to be honest with you. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna come off the top of my head. I hadn't thought this through. I don't want to go down that road. I am sick and tired of talking about. I'm sick and tired of Joe Biden. Our strategic oil reserves. We're walking into hurricane season right now, and there are several storms out there. One of which could knock out a huge portion of the nation could spawn a bunch of tornadoes like they do often. And we typically, during the fall, summer and fall, we deal with bad weather, really bad stuff. Our strategic oil reserves was a plan put together by the government so that when these types of events happen and you can't transport fuel, often you don't have the option of anything but what you can get your arms around, what's right there. Joe Biden... He's out there selling millions of barrels out of the strategic oil reserve, and he'll take personal claim, my doing that, selling this to, he calls them, selling this to our world partners, our allies, our friends. We've been able to lower the cost of gasoline at the pump, $1.30 a gallon. I'm Joe Biden. I'm doing it. He sold 5 million barrels of oil from that our preserve, to China. They're not our allies. If anything, they're our enemies. And Joe Biden doesn't give a rip. If we run out of oil, which we could do it, he's still today selling it very quietly. We could be in a bad, bad place. We're pretty much regarding energy in a bad, bad place because he shut down the U.S. domestic fossil fuel industry on his own, unilaterally, not Congress. And I mean, they control, Democrats controlled Congress for now. But I'm Joe Biden. I can do whatever I want. And if you don't like it, just sit down and shut up. Real truth, real news, TNN, the Truth News Network. 
Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. How to improve your dining room by the Home Depot. New wood floors, new paint on the walls. Sure, you know us for that. But how about a new dining room table? Matching chairs? Bar stools? How about free and flexible delivery with easy online returns? Now you can explore decor in a whole new way. Save now on furniture. Everything for your home. Everything from homedepot.com. How doers get more done. U.S. only valid through September 7th. Limitations apply. What does this make you think of? This is played in America in almost every college basketball game. It's just catchy, isn't it? It's got a horrible big name, hard to remember. It's called Rock and Roll Part 2. I mean, this has been around. This was around when I was in college at Louisiana Tech. The Louisiana Tech band at basketball games, men's and women's basketball games, would play that, and people would get get up and start making some uh, embarrassing moves. <laughs> people that are dancing that have no business dancing. Hey, listen! Don't forget, Steve Baker will join us in about ten minutes at the top of the hour. He's gonna bring us up today. We're going to talk not only about his stuff going on in the Houston area about human smuggling and kid trafficking. And I got to be honest with you. I'm sure we're going to hear some stuff that's uncomfortable for us to hear, but it's important that we hear that kind of stuff because our government's in action on just doing the fundamental things, enforcing federal laws, which would stop all of this illegal immigration. And it's not immigration. It's illegal trespassing, and it's a felony. Our government could stop all of this, all of this, if they wanted to do it. He's going to talk to us about that in the top of the hour. Before we get there, Clay Higgins, you know the name? You've seen him. Remember a couple of years ago, uh, this crazy sheriff down in South Louisiana, he was just going after criminals, and he cut none of them any slack. And in the parishes, which in Louisiana, they're not counties, they're parishes. In the parish down there where he was headquartered, crime statistics, I mean, they just went away. People knowing they were going to be held accountable for their crimes, they stopped breaking the law, at least in the parish over which he was sheriff. He then ran for Congress. He is a member of Congress, Clay Higgins. And he, in a hearing in the House, he just got postal in a back and forth for an appointee regarding free speech. We've got a couple of Louisiana lawmakers that have just become Mark Twain's of our generation. Clay Higgins has got the Cajun accent. Here's the former sheriff, now Representative Clay Higgins. Generally speaking, my colleagues in the Democratic Party 
It's a broad generalization, admittedly, but I mean, the sky is blue, the grass is green. The Democrat Party is a party of attorneys, and the Republican Party is a party of businessmen. It's a, it's a general reference that when you first come to Congress, it's a pretty clear understanding. Democrats love lawsuits. Love them. Every energy project in Louisiana has got to set aside a large percentage of its projected budget to defend against lawsuits. Every pipeline, every LNG plant, every petrochemical expansion, every one of them have to set aside money. It is not all huge companies, you understand? You can, have a, you can put a small hole in the ground. It could be a, a $10, $12 million project. But a small company have to set aside, you know, a million, two million because of the toxic legal environment in Louisiana because Democrats and climate activists love to sue petrochemical projects and energy projects, including LNG plants, which represent the hope of the entire world to reduce emissions. And nowhere is it done more clean than in the United States of America. Why you got 125,000 miles of pipeline in Louisiana? Young lady, because it's Louisiana. It's where you get your energy from. It's where you get your petrochemical products from. Everything you use, everything you're wearing, your clothes, your shoes, your glasses, your phone, your iPad, the vehicle you got here in, the plane you flew here on, all of that requires petrochemical products, and the energy that's drawn out of Louisiana. So yeah, we have pipelines. It's the safest means by which to transport energy product. It's safer than rail. It's safer than vehicle. It's safer than by water. And LNG, for God's sakes, the entire world has reduced emissions because of LNG projects out of Louisiana. But a Louisiana energy, energy company cannot come into Louisiana without getting sued by the left. You talk about protests and First Amendment rights. I would like for anyone here that could define for me how it's okay to vandalize equipment on a legally operating project like a pipeline in Louisiana and say that that's all right to go and destroy equipment, vandalize equipment. That's not protest, that's against the law, and you should be arrested for that. Young lady referred to a lack of action out of the sheriff's department. I know that sheriff's department, I know those men. They're squared away. They have to deal with this stuff all the time. Climate activists causing problems. The, the workers of the contractors didn't go to your house or wherever you work and cause issues and interfere and threaten and shut down and get in the way, cause safety problems. You went there and caused those problems. I'm going to ask I'm going to ask Ms. Page. We have a witness here. It's Mr. Bash. But I'm going to ask you, Ms. Page, 
I'm going to give you the balance of my time. Got 30 seconds. Explain to America why it's okay for a climate activist to break the law and vandalize equipment on a job site. You have the floor, good lady. Thank you. I think we've been focused on the critical infrastructure laws chilling impact on nonviolent protest protected by the First Amendment. Um, I'd also note uh, again how important it is to remember. Is vandalizing equipment what you would call nonviolent protest? Just, just, just tell us. I'd, I'd just emphasize that there are laws in all states to address that kind of conduct. And so, is it okay to arrest a climate activist if they vandalize equipment? I think our concern would be again that. That's a non-answer. Draconian. Chairman, my time has expired. I yield. It's incredible to listen to these nominees for these positions coming in there, and they refuse to tell these lawmakers what their opinions are about the things they're going to be working with when they take this role if their nomination is confirmed. And it's from top to bottom. It's Supreme Court nominees. It's Federal Appeals Court nominees. Even somebody that's nominated for a pure bureaucratic position, they take that, what they call high ground. Oh, I can't talk about that because something may come up in my job and I don't want to screw up my job. It's government. They supposedly work for us, the American people, but it's not the American people they answer to. It's to whoever is the political party in power. That's enough for that. Clay Higgins, he's one of my heroes. John Kennedy. I think John Kennedy is the Mark Twain of the 21st century. I mean, he comes up with some of the greatest things. I have no clue where he gets them. I'm a Louisiana native. I thought I've heard it all. Justin Wilson. (laughs) I've heard all the stuff. But John Kennedy brings something new to the plate every time I talk to him. Steve Baker's joining us now. Are you there, Mr. Baker? Hang on just a second, buddy. Uh, I have to throw a switch here to get you on. And uh, are you there now? I still don't have you, buddy. Hang on just a second. What did I do? Oh, I know what I did. Now you're there. Steve-O, are you there? I am. Can you now, hear me this time? I got, yeah, I got you. It, it was nothing you did wrong. It was something I forgot <laughs> to do. Too many knobs and buttons. Well, buddy, you're on a, um, a world-changing event, I know, for you. You've been down there in Houston for a week now working on this um, human yeah. trafficking, smuggling thing. I know you have some things that you can say and tell us. I know you have some that you can't say. But I want yeah. you to kind of give us an update. I mean, you're in, you're an investigative journalist. You know how to how to say things, protecting the things that must be protected. But you also know how to say it so that we, the people, can get the actuality, the factual stuff going on. What is happening? What have you seen in this first week? Well, you know, when I left your studio uh, last uh, Tuesday morning, after we were on the show together. I drove straight to Houston from your studio, and um, it all began that night. I, I have been in communication with. Uh, I think I, I think I've shared this in the past with your audience. Some 
experts in the child trafficking uh, field. And obviously, Houston is a hub for that. Uh, by some estimates, it's the number one human trafficking hub in America. And, and that's, you know, that's not something for Houston to be proud of. No. <laughs> not, not even close. But unfortunately, um, as we're seeing now from even more recent news reports, law enforcement itself are becoming more and more and more handicapped, less ability, with less funding, less ability, less leadership and directive to actually involve themselves in these cases. Dan, they're literally farming this work out now to private investigators. And the one story that I've not told fully because it's not my case is that I actually was embedded in one of their investigations this weekend. You actually were in the middle of it. Yeah, I, they actually took me out and allowed me to observe and get completely read in on one of their cases. Tell us about and this it. is a this is and this is what I this is what I can talk about. Um, I had to pause and think just for a second. Be careful. Yeah, no, it, it's 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 has nothing to do with me or my safety. It's with the integrity of the case, because this is an ongoing law enforcement uh, project. The problem is, is that, well, I don't know. Did you see the, did you see Jim Jordan, Representative uh, Jim Jordan's tweet this morning? No, I didn't. And the story last night, one of the FBI whistleblowers has come forward and said that resources are being reallocated to the investigation of these January 6 flag carriers through the through the you know the Capitol building yeah and specifically away from child sexual abuse cases actually the whistleblower himself an FBI agent has now even under whistleblower protection has now been punished and suspended from his job. Naturally. I mean, our gov- our government today, it's all about this. Symbolism over substance. Substance doesn't, it doesn't add up to anything of value. Symbolism, ha-ha, they can weaponize that and yeah, do anything exactly. that they want to to anybody. And that's exactly what we're dealing with in this particular case. Yeah, They're allocating federal resources to the political symbolism that, and, and I, you know, I wrote about it in my very first article about January 6th back in January of 2021. I actually said this was a gigantic narrative victory for the left back then. Yeah. And wow, have they taken advantage of it? Knew they would. They have. They are. And they continue to do it. But now they're doing it in a way that endangers the rest of law-abiding Americans. And let me just give you the specific examples here. Okay. This particular case was received by a, he is a human trafficking expert. He's a rescue expert. He's a private investigator that that's what he specializes in. He gets cases handed to him by the FBI because they themselves do not have the resources 
to handle the you know the the insane volume of these types of cases that are that are that are happening right under their eye you know right under their nose and and and, and when it, when you say right under your nose here in Houston it's right under your nose you can see it with your own eyes and I can and I can now take you to where it's happening well I've Steve been there now. Steve it's not that the FBI doesn't have the money you and I both know that probably without a doubt the Department of Justice the largest by far allocation of funds that come from taxpayer dollars in the DOJ goes to the FBI what it is is the allocation by the bureaucrats at the top Christopher Ray, FBI director, and everybody else on the top floor of the J. Edgar Hoover building, they're the ones that determine where the money goes, and obviously they, being the bureaucrats, and listen, Christopher Ray on something like this, he yeah. knows everything about it, and they're not, oh, absolutely. they're not spending the money on kids and trafficking and stuff that they should have, because that's not the political narrative they're told to chase under this administration. But I'm going to I'm going to take it a step further for you, Dan. Okay. Now now that I have seen it with my own eyes, and this is where I have to be careful about the the details of the case itself. This is now it's no longer an issue that I can personally characterize as uh, as even Jim Jordan did, where he called it child sexual abuse or human trafficking, or even child sexual trafficking. Dan, this is human slavery. Wow. And I intend on getting as deep into this story-wise to show that. But the people involved in it, when I say the good, I'm talking about the good people, the people that are actually on the streets working these cases, they, they have known for years that this is, in fact, human slavery. We, I don't know that the numbers of uh, these children involved in this, in these sexual slavery activities are counted in the, you know, the UN total international slavery numbers of roughly, you know, 30 million people. Yeah. But this is, this is not happening in Ghana or Saudi Arabia, uh, you know, Singapore, this is happening in the United States on the streets of our largest cities. And these are children who are enslaved and they're not just uh, illegal immigrant children, Dan. These are the children of middle-class American families. Wow. And, and they're not making it into the paper because this is a story that is so gigantic and so big. And, and I, you know, you know me, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go down the, the QAnon conspiracy theory, lizard people, the queen, you know, drinks baby's blood kind of, I'm, I'm not going there. You don't have to go there. No, it's, it's bad enough. It's dark enough. It's evil enough to just deal with the problem on its face without, you know, building some gigantic conspiracy around it. Well, give us the, de- if, give us the details. If there is a, well, here's what happened. So the, this one particular uh, gentleman investigator that I've been consulting with since I became aware of this other problem in Houston that I'm, that I'm down here specifically working on, he invited me out. He said, "You want to you want to jump in the front seat of my truck with me?" So he took me down to which is 
um, generally considered to be either the largest or the second largest actual street prostitution uh, track in America. Uh, the, the one the one in Houston actually uh, competes with one in L.A. You know, again, something Houston can be really proud of. And, and Dan, when you're taken down to this place, it's actually called the Bissonette Track. When he first told me several weeks ago when I was here that they were going to go down to the Bissonette Track, I thought it was like a, a horse racing track, a car racing track. I didn't know what the Bissonette Track was. But it turns out that, you know, you call the 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 actual historic places where the, the prostitutes and the Johns know to meet up. It's called a track. So I was taken down to the track. Now, as it turns out, this was my second time to be on the on the Bissonette track because my previous visit to Houston, a ministry group took me down there, a Youth of the Mission. Yeah. You know those guys are based yeah. right out of Tyler. YWAM. Yeah, YWAM. So the 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 Houston um, base um, leader, he actually invited me down to the the Bissonette track. So I went down there and got my eyes full because I just had no idea that this meant. And I, and Dan, it, it's it's mind blowing that on the streets of an American city, for everyone to see, literally wearing no clothes. I mean, if, if you if you ever walked down Bourbon Street in the old days when they used to you know step out with topless or whatever onto the streets, yeah, this, Bourbon Street had nothing on what's happening in Houston. We're talking about hundreds of young ladies specifically wearing mostly nothing as by and large, 90% of them are wearing nothing more than a G string as they're walking down the streets. Wow. And then the, and then the Johns are lined up in the right lane. Is that, you know, this is like a six lane major city street and the lot, the Johns are lined up in the right lane and they just drive past the girls until they see the one they want to pick up. And, off they go. So this is happening right in front of our eyes. But what you're not seeing underneath that is the next level because you have different layers of the, what people would generally regard or refer to as the pimps. And we all know that from all the TV shows and the movies. But you have the gang and the cartel related pimps. The next layer down, they have what they basically call the, the gangster, or not the gangster, the, uh, sorry, uh, gorilla pimps and then the next layer it would be called the gamer pimps and these are these are guys that are seriously just in it for nothing more than the money they're not looking for problems but all of them on the darker side of even this already dark situation they are trafficking young girls and the average entry age of all the girls that you see on the street Dan, it's 13 years old. Don't tell me that. Now, the girls you see on the street are 18 and above, by and large. Every once in a while, a 16, 17-year-old girl slip through the cracks because the gangs don't want them on, you know, they, that's too easy for them to to, to bring in the, you know, the, the law, enforcement, law enforcement on that because the Houston police do nothing about this situation. What's happening right in front of everybody's eyes is illegal. I mean, there are laws on the books. Sure. You, you know, the, the, the girls can't sell the, they can't sell themselves. The guys can't buy it. It's a, it's illegal on both ends of the transaction. 
but it's so vast and it's such a gigantic problem. Law enforcement does not have the resources to deal with it. They'll post a single cop on the street and he'll just sit there and watch it. Nothing the, you can do about it. The other piece of it is follow the money. Car- exactly. car- cartels are investing and that's what they consider it to be. Probably millions of dollars into Houston's political system. And I'm sure there are law enforcement people at the top and I'm not denigrating anybody. I don't have any factual information, but we all, and, and first hour of the show, I brought it up. The love of money is the root of all evil, not money. It's the love of money. And we, I, I did a story. George Soros funded a 501 C three operation that went political with the money that he gave, which is a violation of IRS regulations. If you're a 501c3, you can't receive tax-deductible donations and then involve your money in a political process. They're That's thumbing the their noses. Yeah, they're, they're thumbing their noses at the rule of law, and you're in the middle of it where the rubber meets the road right on the streets with 13 to 18-year-old, even a little bit older, girls that are just being trafficked. So I was read into this particular case that he was working and um, saw the pictures of the photos of these girls. Now, these are the girls that are not on the street. These are the ones that are now being groomed in the process. Oh, yeah. And, and, and of course, obviously, I'm asking a thousand questions. And that one question I asked, or there's two of them. First one is, what's the average age of recruitment and when he told me it was 13 years old and these are again these are not uh, trafficked illegal immigrant immigrant kids these kids are being recruited online out of their bedroom in middle-class american homes how how are they how are they uh how did this industry i guess that's the term for what this operation is How do they get these kids away from middle-class moms and dads? I'll tell you what, Dan, that is an amazing part of this story. The psychological manipulation and these guys are expert. They're pros. It's brainwashing. They know exactly how to turn a child against their parents but more than that, they know how to turn the parents against the child and create such a egregious situation at home that the kid is then psychologically manipulated into no other choice in their mind, but they must run away. Wow. And they do this subtly in online chat groups, social media, you know, TikTok, things of that, that nature. Yeah. They make, they make those connections. They start showing them uh, the opportunity where they could get involved in a glamorous life, uh, you know, like in the music business. Well, I'll just go ahead and say this one particular case that we're working on, this guy, the head pimp, we'll call him that, over this particular organization, he launders all of his proceeds through his record company. So Hmm. on the, you know, on the top layer, he's got a, he's got this uh, rap music empire. Yeah. So he can flaunt all of that, 
and then he uses that to recruit girls that are interested in, you know, glamorous life with all the money and all the bling and, you know, the, the nice cars. And then through those conversations online, he starts turning them against their parents. And it's a very complicated, uh, which would take a lot longer than this to get into the how they do it, because they're, they're very patient with it. And then once they have these the hook in, so to speak, then they actually get the girls to sneak out of the house one night just to go to a party. They show them, a, they show them the life. And then, Dan, this is, this is unbelievable. They then themselves, the pets, they actually rat the girl out. So they rat the girl out to her own parents. So now the parents think that they have a problem child. And so what do you think they do? They put the screws down holler harder. Sure. They lock her down. They take away all of her devices. They do all the typical things that a parent would do that's really concerned about a kid. If it's 13 years old, a girl just snuck out of her house and went to a, a rap party, you know, yeah. a pool party somewhere at night. Yeah. And then so they know how to make the parents overreact. Now they've put the clamps down so hard on the girl, she feels like the only way she can survive and breathe is to run away. Wow. And they're doing, and they're doing this to the hundreds and thousands of girls, and they don't get them all to that end product, but they get enough of them to that, you know, that, that stage recruitment stage where they can now uh, bring them into the into quote unquote into the life but once they're in the life Dan they this is the most incredible part I think that I learned I asked actually asked this I asked this question I said so what percentage of these girls that I'm seeing on the street do they keep and everybody in the group that I was with turned their heads at me and started chuckling what do you think their percentage is? I think it's a hundred percent. The pimps keep one hundred percent. Yeah. The girls get nothing. Yeah. Dan, they're so psychologically manipulated that they are willing to turn their lives over, turn their bodies over. Not only that, but be subject subjected to the abuse. We're not talking about just mental abuse, psychological trauma. We're talking about obviously hardcore physical abuse of every type you can imagine. Yeah. From brutal beatings to sexual trauma. And they're willing to submit and live in that for no money at all. Wow. That's slavery, Dan. Yeah, it is. Steve Baker on the phone with us, investigative journalist. He's been on this show multiple times. He is a he's a good friend of this show. And he is in Houston. He is part of a human sex trafficking operation. He's actually inserted in it. We're going to take our first break here. And when we come back, Steve's going to segue from, I guess, the most sordid part of this whole story. And I want to get him to talk about The Lookout, which is the title of the story that he wrote. This is his first offering. We published it at truthnewsnet.org first thing this morning. Steve Baker will be back with us in one minute and a half. Don't go anywhere. Thank you for hanging on here at TNN Live. Always get the truth on TNN. The Truth News Network. Find it exclusively at truthnewsnet.org. 
Lowe's knows you're a craftsman guy. You have a lot of tools. Tools for everything you've done around the house. But there's the moment you realize your new project means new tools. Yes. When tool guys need new tools, they start with Lowe's. The new home of Craftsman. You love chocolate. Mmm, chocolate. You love M&M's. Oh, yes. But your tastes have grown up, and you're just not wild about super sweet milk chocolate, so you've been avoiding M&M's. Yeah. Well, fear no more. Huh? M&M's dark chocolate to the rescue. My heroes! M&M's dark chocolate candies. Available wherever fine candies are sold. Tuesday at TNN Live and on the phone with us now from Houston, Steve Baker, investigative journalist, investigative photojournalist. He's he's pretty much immersed in uh, investigating and finding things that you and I need to know about exist. And what he's told us so far in this, and make sure if you missed it, you can go back and grab the podcast version of this at any place that you get a podcast. Just search TNN Live, but you need to hear it because it's some scary things. Steve, thank you for taking the deep dive on our behalf and these young people, these young girls that are being trafficked down in Houston. It's hard for me to believe, being a Houston native, it's hard for me to believe that right there, right under their noses, and probably, I don't know, there's 3 million in the greater Houston area, probably less than a couple of hundred people even know this actually exists there. It's amazing, Dan, because I am not an expert. It's just that these people that are, they don't feel like the story has been told yet. And they're asking me to tell the story, which is why they're taking me out in it. Yeah. Now, the reason I met them was because of this other case that literally fell into my lap. And, and I, don't even, I don't even want to characterize it that way. I think it's bigger than that. And but the story that I was led to, that led to the the uh, article that I wrote yesterday called the lookout. And and yeah, I have teased a little bit about that story in the last few weeks, but this was the first lengthy or major article I wrote about it, and it was basically the story of one hour of my life on um, what is today Tuesday the Sunday. One hour of my life on Sunday afternoon, and it was me going down and investigating and looking for the clues of this child immigrant trafficking operation that we became aware of about a month ago. And I had days before found actual encampments with the clues, the signs of the items that the women's ministry had been handing out to these children. And so on Sunday, my primary purpose was to go down and gather video and photographic evidence, not only of that site and additional evidence that I could find, but also to compare and contrast what the differences are between a child encampment 
in this incredible lost city under the labyrinth of you know Houston's highway bridges system, and then to compare that to what an adult encampment looks like. So that was my primary purpose. And I did want to do one other thing. I had been curious from day one of this a month ago of what was actually happening in the thickest underbrush along the banks of the Buffalo Bayou, which runs, you know, around the outer, you know, outskirts of uh, downtown Houston. Yeah, it's like a barrier on the outskirts. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I went down there properly attired for such, you know, an operation. I carried a machete with me because I knew I was going to have to hack through jungle-like uh, bush. And I was armed, obviously, otherwise. And as I approached the entry point that I was going to go down into the embankment of the, the Buffalo River, or Buffalo Bayou, rather, I came up on a gentleman who was similarly attired to me. He was wearing camouflage. All of his clothing was clean. He was Hispanic, about a 50-50 English to Spanish, you know, um, language grasp. And he had brand new, very expensive boots on. I mean, Dan, he was dressed a lot like me. Obvious, obviously, this obviously this guy was not a uh, an illegal immigrant. He was somebody that was there for a purpose. Yeah, he was he was um, taken by surprise when I showed up, and because he looked like me <laughs> in terms of the way he was dressed, I said, "Who are you?" This is the first words out of my mouth was, "Are you?" I said something like, "Are you looking for somebody too?" And he jerked his head around and looked at me, and. Uh, you know, no, and then he went into this long story about why he was there. Uh, I certainly want people to read the article where the details are because I don't want to spend all of our time here doing that. But long story short is he began to reveal himself to me that the story he was giving me was not accurate. Sure. Within a half hour of, and again, I'm not going to take away from the story itself because we want everybody to read it. Absolutely. But I... When I reemerged from down on the banks of the of the bayou, it became very aware that this gentleman had been now following me from a distance through the, the foliage and the deep brush. Every once in a while, I could see him. And Dan, this is the most amazing part. The entire, this entire hour of my life is 100% captured on video because I was wearing a body cam. That's interesting. And so I'm narrating when I'm not talking to him, which was also captured on video audio. I'm narrating what I'm doing each step uh, through the, through the jungle, through the bush, the underbrush. When I'm finding the human campsites, Yeah, I'm narrating what I'm seeing. Well, every once in a while on my video, you can hear I'm, I'm going, this guy's following me. And then every once in a while, there'll be a slight clearing in the brush and I could look through and I, I could see him. And then every once in a while, my body cam would catch him through the brush. Well, what's he all so about? Re- what's he all about? Well, Dan, there's a, an abandoned building on the other side of uh, when you when you exit from the, the embankment of the, the bayou. There's a city um, paved 
bike path. I call it the bike path of death because I had, I had no idea why anybody would risk their lives to go for a hike, a stroll, a walk, or a, you know, a, a bike uh, a ride through this particular uh, part of town. But there's this abandoned building that had been completely fenced up. It's obviously been abandoned for years. Very, very high growth. I mean, around this building, it, it, it looks like a jungle inside that fencing now. It's yeah. been not serviced in so many years. But on the back side, on the bayou side, there's a torn back area, cut and then torn back area of the fencing. It's high fencing, but it's been pulled back. And I stepped through that because you know what I'm looking for. Yeah. So I stepped through inside that torn fencing area. And then I saw on the backside of this boarded up building, and it's a very, very large building. I saw that one of the doors had been busted through and was ajar. And at this moment, this guy who had been tracking me for about 30 minutes, he walks, he's walking up on me. And so I pull back from inside that fence and get back out on the bike path. And, um, all I did is I asked him, I said, is there anybody in there? No. So you sure? Yeah, no, nobody's there. And then all of a sudden he took up a post right there in front of that, that, uh, open fenced area. So I really, it was self-evident at that moment that this was the lookout for whatever was happening inside this abandoned building. So I knew that I needed to extract myself as quickly as possible. That's called CYA. You've heard that (laughs) before. Yeah, get get out of Dodge. (laughs) So I dropped a pen, you know, Google Map pen on the place immediately. Yeah. Yeah. And then I I got out of there. Well, I went back last night, Dan. Oh my goodness. After midnight. And I can't believe you did that. Well, you're not going to. I said in the article that I was going back. And I did. And you're not going to believe what this building was because I investigated the full exterior of the building last night from the other side. Yeah. And it's going to blow your mind. There's still a sign hanging up on the other side. Now I'm investigating what a child trafficking operation. Yeah. This building is formally, and I'm reading it directly from the photographs I took of the sign last night. Head Start, nationally acclaimed quality early childhood education. It was a Head Start Center. It's a Head Start Center. Oh, my gosh. In its previous life. How ironic could that get? Well, you know, if, if in fact this is where those children were being held. And I don't believe they're there now, Dan. I, I believe that they've been moved on. Yeah, well, if, if, they're, if they're there, they're not making money. And so they're yeah, going to train them right. or whatever they do and then put them on the streets. Yeah, that's exactly right. They're wow. going to be distributed for multiple functions around the country. Sure. But the most likely operation is that this is uh, a drug trafficking location because of the accessibility in the dark under the cover of uh, the, the brushworks and the jungle down there along the bayou to distribute, you know, uh, drugs, but the building is large enough to easily hide away and house a couple hundred children. Wow. My goodness. I bet you were shocked when you, uh, you saw that sign. Oh, Dan, when I saw that sign last night, 
and and the the front side or the other side of the building is actually in a long abandoned uh, apartment complex. It's been condemned, and I'm sure it, it's probably slated for uh, to be raised and and replaced with something. But uh, you know, everything because of COVID and has been sidelined and and delayed with these types of projects. But uh, nevertheless, it's a it's a fertile spot for uh, nefarious activities right now. Well, listen, um, I, I don't need to tell you this, but I will anyway. Be careful, be careful. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I just don't. I, I just see too many possibilities of bad things happening, and so I'm sure you know this. But we pray for you for your safety. Thank you. And. Um, I do. I'm part of a 6 a.m. live prayer meeting that's streamed live on Facebook every morning, and we prayed for you yesterday. We prayed for you today. I wanted to make sure you were healthy and could come on the show today, so I prayed extra special. <laughs> Seriously, take care of yourself. I want to segue before we go. I want to get yeah. your thoughts on this wonderful, exciting Martha Vineyard's debacle regarding we're talking about illegal immigration and trafficking. Um, is this the craziest, funniest thing, most revealing thing about politics that you've seen? Well, I, you know, it's funny you say that because in the midst of all this other stuff that I'm doing, I've had very little time for, uh, following my Twitter account or other social media, but I did tweet out that this is the thing. And I actually use that word. This is the single most hilarious event that I can remember. <laughs> and, 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 and the, the mainstream media freak out the freak out of the elitist politicians. And I can tie this back into what's happening here right now easily. I mean, we had just as you remember a few weeks ago, 50 migrants die in the back of a trailer here in Texas. Yeah. Was there a media freak out over that? No, of course not. Now 50 illegal emirate immigrants get shipped to, the elitist playground called Martha's Vineyard and all of them go nuts. They're, they're, damn, they're actually revealing themselves in this process. Did you hear about what the, um, the sheriff of bear County yes. down there, what he's doing? Uh, oh, no, bear County down, uh, in San Antonio. Yeah. No, I did not hear that. Oh, he came out yesterday. I've, I'm in fact in the in the before we finish the show, and we're running out of time. But I'm going to play what he said. He's launched an investigation. Uh, he's alleging that uh, uh, Governor DeSantis he tricked these immigrants, enticing them to go to Martha's Vineyard, and him doing that took them away from the great comfort and uh, the positive atmosphere of his county, and he's launched an investigation for kidnapping into the governor of yeah. Florida. That's almost as crazy as the uh, Martha Vineyards thing. It's not. Yeah, they, they, were, they were allegedly going to investigate DeSantis for human trafficking. <laughs> how, how ironic is that? unbelievable well buddy i want to thank you for what you're doing and uh i know at the end of this there's going to be some good that's going to come out of it hopefully there will be young americans young immigrants 
whose lives are saved because of the exposure. Shine the light of truth on all of this, and we'll do our part to spread it around the nation. I just looked a minute ago. I won't even give you the exact number, but our our listenership just boomed at uh, 10 o'clock this morning, and that's because I've been promoting the fact that you were going to be here with uh, the first chapter. And we got the story on the lookout. Check it out. Again, anything and everything that Steve Baker does, I always let you tell the people the best place to go get it because I want to make sure we don't make a mistake. Tell them where they go. Yeah, I'm going to have to shorten this URL up, but uh, it's thepragmaticconstitutionalist.locals.com. That's the originating site for all of my content. thepragmaticconstitutionalist.locals.com. He's doing this reporting there, but he does a lot of other stuff. And there are some great things that come out of it. I encourage you to do it. And Steve, we will see you next Monday. Uh, next Let's Tuesday. Go for Tuesday. Yeah, next Tuesday. <laughs> I don't know where that next Monday came from. I, I guess I shocked you thinking, what are we supposed yeah. to do on Monday? <laughs> Steve Baker will be back with us next Tuesday at 10 o'clock Central Time. Steve, Thanks, Dan. be careful. Will do. You've got our prayers. Thanks so much. Thank you. Whether holding down the fort or bouncing back to school, childhood is always in session. So keep feeding us right with sun made snacks, just like when you were a kid. Remember their naturally sweet raisins? Yup, still delicious. And so are Sunmate's other snacks, like creamy yogurt-covered raisins, sour raisin snacks that taste like sour candy with no added sugar, and Sunmate's new s'mores and birthday cake bites. All delicious, all made with whole fruit. Sunmade snacks. Des Moines HelpWanted.com salutes the employee of the month, the one employee you can't live without. The others, let's just call them Dave. Dave, we need to talk about your sick days. What seems to be the problem, Mr. Employee of the Month? Last week, you were out all five days. I was sick. Thanks for checking in. You posted on social media that you were at a comedy club on Monday. Laughter is the best medicine. An outdoor barbecue on Tuesday. Feed a cold, starve a fever, or whichever one needs to be fed. That's the one I had. Okay, Wednesday, you took a selfie, hashtag faking sick. That was supposed to say freaking sick. Thursday, you were at an amusement Park. Somebody stole my phone. They stole your phone and uploaded photos of you at an amusement park. Yes, fake news. Friday, you tailgated in the employee parking lot. Friday's basically the weekend. Everyone knows that. If you don't mind hiring Dave's, go to the huge national job boards. That's probably what you'll get. But if you want more employees of the month, go where local job seekers find good local jobs. We don't discriminate against people named Dave. Dave is a common name, fun to say, and so we're using it as a catch-all for lackluster employees everywhere. Please don't write us to tell us you were insulted by this ad. That would be a real Dave move, Dave. Introducing the all-new Infiniti QX60. Take on life in style. Left versus right, Republican versus Democrat, conservative versus liberal. Which side do you take? The side of the truth on TNN. Truthnewsnet.org, the Truth News Network. That's who we are. Thank you for being a part of it here today. 
let's get to the Martha Vineyard debacle. This is the funniest thing that I've seen in politics recently. It exposes so much from so many people. And in case you uh, were living on a rock somewhere and you missed it, 48 illegal immigrants were flown on two charter planes that apparently were sent from Florida to San Antonio to pick up these 48 immigrants and fly them to Martha's Vineyard. Martha's Vineyard, in case you didn't know this, is a self-proclaimed sanctuary town, city, whatever you want to call it. Um, And so they went there, these immigrants went there, and the left went absolutely crazy, absolutely crazy. And so they've gone nuts saying we don't have the place to house these immigrants, which is not true because that is a summer island. Very wealthy people have very expensive homes there, but most of them, Labor Day is the cutoff. They leave Labor Day and they go back to their regular uh, cities and houses, and um, that means there's a lot of empty space. And after all, they're sanctuary cities. So what would be the problem for them to have these immigrants coming there? And so it's just grown exponentially. Everybody's taken sides on it. Uh, But the sheriff of Bear County, which is around San Antonio, he actually came out yesterday and he announced he's going after, his department is going after Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Investigation now underway after Florida's governor flew dozens of migrants from Texas to Martha's Vineyard. The sheriff of Bear County, Texas, says his office wants to know if the migrants were victims of a crime. When you're playing with human lives of people that are already in a desperate situation, people that, that, that again, had every right to be where they were but were lured under false pretenses, that does tend to bother um, me quite a bit. And so we, we are absolutely opening up an investigation into this. And tonight we know the number of migrants from Venezuela, Cuba, and Nicaragua entering the United States has soared. Last month, U.S. authorities stopped migrants from coming in from those three countries about 56,000 times. That's up more than 6,000 from July, and just about double the number we saw in August of 2021. This sheriff just doubled down on stupid on this entire story. But he's not by himself. Listen to this. Late last week when DeSantis flew those down there, you can imagine what happened when the uproar began to be said, oh, this is, this is horrible. This is the same thing as human trafficking. Left-wing lawyers are involved in this. And when I say left-wing lawyers, you know exactly where this is going. Since this happened, Democrats have called for the Department of Justice to open a kidnapping and a human trafficking investigation into DeSantis as Joe Biden's administration transports thousands of border crossers and illegal aliens to working and middle-class American communities every day. We don't know who they are. We've had a huge group of Haitian immigrants dropped in Shreveport, Louisiana. And CBS News, it won't surprise you, mainstream media doubling down, 
They reported, quote, the migrants are very traumatized by the fact that they were in one location and transferred to Martha's Vineyard, and now they had to be relocated to this military base. That's attorney Miriam Albert explained. But ultimately, I think they're in better spirits now. At the same time, MSNBC reported the illegals were happy to have been flown to Martha's Vineyard. I can tell you the migrants are actually not angry at Ron DeSantis. They are actually thanking him for having brought them to Martha's Vineyard where they were very well received. That's the reporter from MSNBC. Governor Gavin Newsom called for a kidnapping investigation into DeSantis, writing in a social media post, I'm formally requesting the DOJ begin an immediate investigation into these inhumane efforts to use kids as political pawns. And then there's Keith Olbermann, everybody's favorite. You know, the former spokesman for ESPN that got run off of that network and two or three other ones. He suggested DeSantis should receive five years in prison for every illegal alien that he flew to Martha's Vineyard a total that would lock the Florida Republican up for 250 years. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. In private, it was reported Martha's Vineyard residents said they wanted the illegals off the island as quickly as possible. A homeless shelter coordinator on the island said this, we don't have housing for 50 more people. That was even after finding out up to 6 million border crossers and illegal aliens could be housed on Martha's Vineyard, if it came to that. 48 didn't quite have enough room, but they got room for 6 million border crossers on the island? DeSantis has vowed to send more flights of illegals to Martha's Vineyard and other liberal enclaves where the Democrat Party's wealthiest donors own summer mansions, sprawling estates, Big, big Democrat people, powerful people like uh, Barack Obama has a big spread on Martha's Vineyard. 16 acres, I was told. You can house a lot of people. You could put up some tents and really, uh, really do good work if you did that. We can ignore the crossing of 2 million migrants and just ignore it by the mainstream media, not do anything about it. The president never going to the border, the so-called border czar refusing to go to the border. But it took 50 migrants showing up on the most exclusive, woke, democratic enclave in America, Martha's Vineyard. Strong words there from Gloria Romero, who has called out her own party's handling of the border crisis. This all comes after Ron DeSantis decided to send two planes full of illegal immigrants from Texas to Martha's Vineyard. This created widespread criticism from the left, with some even accusing the Florida governor of human trafficking. Mr Romero has questioned how it can be ignored that so far in the 2022 fiscal year there has been two million migrants cross the border, but somehow when 50 undocumented migrants are taken to one of the wealthiest spots in the country, it now becomes an issue. And that's how they talk about it. But without a leaf blower, without mops to go clean the house of the very woke elites, to basically declare it an emergency, bring out the military, and to solve this border crisis within, what, a day and a half. It is offensive, and it just shows the complete breakdown and hypocrisy of, sadly, the the talking heads in the Democratic Party in America today. 
The reality is the United States is in the midst of a border crisis. In July, the southwest border saw just shy of 200,000 encounters. The month before, it was 208,000. Republican governors have been crying out for a crackdown on this from the Biden administration. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has had enough last week and paid for 50 migrants to travel by plane from San Antonio in Texas to Martha's Vineyard in Massachusetts. The migrants spent two days living in a church and were then taken to Joint Base Cape Cod. DeSantis copped serious backlash for what was called a political move ahead of the midterm elections, while supporters praised him for bringing attention to the fact the country is in a serious situation. The high-profile island the migrants were taken to is for only the wealthiest of people. And as Gloria Romero puts it, the attention on this just shows the complete breakdown and hypocrisy of, sadly, the talking heads in the Democratic Party in America today. Former President Barack Obama, singer James Taylor, director Spike Lee and comedian David Letterman are reported to all own homes there. Within the few days the migrants were staying on the island, Fox News Digital reached out to Obama's team to see if he was willing to open his doors to house the illegal immigrants. After numerous attempts for an answer, the former president did not respond. The hypocrisy of the left, it's unimaginable and it's deep, it's thick. And nobody wants to even acknowledge it. It's like the emperor has no clothes. You remember that story? Well, let me tell you something as we head to the exit on this show here today. Guess what very quietly is happening on the border? Joe Biden is building the wall. Hmm. As the Borderlands coordinator for the Wildlands Network, a guy named Trafigan. Trafigan visited the area many times before. It was among the sites he looked at in an extensive report that was published in July documenting the environmental impact of the border wall expansion under Donald Trump. Trafigan spotted, guess what, a new staging area and water holding tanks under construction. Fixed to the wall were noon signs citing an Arizona trespassing law. A security guard at the scene told him construction is resuming. Later, a Border Patrol agent ordered him to leave the area. It's feeling like it felt during border wall construction with Donald Trump. Trafficking told The Intercept. Intercept, one of the most far-out leftist media outlets there is. I hadn't felt that on the border in a year and a half. Now it's like, oh crap, here we go again. Six days after trafficking was there, Border Protection confirmed that work on the border wall that began under Trump is revving back up under Joe Biden. In an online presentation last week, Customs Border Patrol, the largest division of DHS, Homeland Security, and Home to the Border Patrol, detailed plans to address environmental damage brought on by the former president's signature campaign promise and confirmed the wall will remain a permanent fixture of the Southwest for generations to come. So Joe Biden decided, got to quit pontificating about just political stuff. We got to do something about the southern border. So he's quietly starting construction again. Thanks for sharing with us today. It's always great to have you. We're honored for you to be a part of what we do. 
Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow morning right here at 9 a.m. Central, TNN Live. Wish I knew what was going wrong. Seems so very long since we left together. It's no good to be all alone. When you've hurt a friend And you both feel empty What I give to erase the pain Will we ever make the break? Is it over or shall we try again? For a brand new love affair Seems to me We are both afraid That our love may fade And we just won't make it Maybe soon We'll be friends again Find ourselves and then Really make it happen